We're all on a journey to reach our full potential and purpose. And no matter where you are on your path, know that we walk together and not alone. At the Mission Leadership Institute, we believe the path to leadership is self-discovery. To support you, we're bringing the most advanced thinkers in the country to help unpack all that we carry with us on this leadership journey. Welcome to the Providence Walk With Me podcast. I'm your host, Martin Schreiber, with the Mission Leadership Institute. Well, Dr. Isom, I want to thank you for being with us today. This is a real great privilege. I've enjoyed our conversation uh, pre and the time that we had to review these moments. And one of the things that we always do in the Walk With Me podcast is begin with a simple question, which is, could you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, and that's all. That's a very hard question. Who am I? Uh, I, 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 you know, in the spirit of the conversation that we're going to have today, I do actually very much identify with the 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 title of a caregiver uh, in lots of different ways. I chose a profession that's a caregiving profession. It's literally what we do. But even within this, the profession of medicine, my specific specialty is there's a lot of caregiving um, and, and meeting people where they are, and that same uh, identities extend into the work that I do in medical education, caring for the mind and perspective and things of that nature, and also into my personal life as a sister, mother, uh, and a friend to those that I have around me. And I, and throughout the past year and a half, almost two years, I think the caregiver aspect of my identity has been the most salient uh, and most important to offer, although there are other things on the, the resume as well. There are, and, and there are some real uh, moments of illumination about your own work within uh, anti-racism and health equity. And I'm really uh, grateful for uh, just to have an open dialogue about that mm -hmm. today. And I wanted to start with that aspect of caregivers. Uh, here in mm -hmm. Providence, we have close to 120,000 caregivers. And this moment in the pandemic, in the moment of uh, what we've seen in our consciousness of the world uh, changing, how do you create a culture of mental health? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a great question. And it's one that uh, we probably should have asked such a long time ago, but we're driven to ask a lot more intentionally since the pandemic started. And one thing I like to offer is that we do talk about mental health a lot and equally should talk about uh, mental well-being. And, and that as a term is actually more uh, inclusive because despite uh, having a diagnosis or not, which is the mental health piece of things, we're all constantly navigating what mental well-being means for us. And a, a simple way to understand mental well-being is how much do we believe and feel that we're able to cope with life's challenges and overcome them. And that collective experience of the pandemic, I think, has spoken to the mental well-being uh, being something important to focus on, while also paying attention to how having depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or challenges with substance use can make it that much harder to achieve well-being. Um, and I think the starting point really is just acknowledging that we're humans, that we exist in systems that at times dehumanize us, make us into more of a resource than an actual person. And as a consequence of that, the things that we need to be well are not there. Um, so having connection with each other, which a lot of us have been thinking about with the pandemic, um, but also having the tools that we need to keep ourselves well and reminders to keep ourselves well too. <laughs> Um, so someone asking, how are you doing before the pandemic is a lot different since really, how are you doing? And is there a way that I can show up for you more? Um, those small things can create the culture that you're looking for. 
I appreciate that. That whole sense of a shift in understanding this is about belonging and also the mediums of asking those questions, right? If I'm off going very fast and I ask how you are doing, but my back is already to you as I keep walking, we know from the research, this just isn't the culture we're building of renewal, right? Uh, it, it seems to have to do a lot with presence. Could could you talk mm -hmm. just a bit about how we might learn as leaders to be more present to this kind of a conversation? Yeah, and it, I, the mindfulness space has blown up too. Uh, unfortunately, there's been so much of a, an offering of free access to those resources throughout the pandemic, which I think is a, it shows something about the culture of the country, um, that we're kind of uh, really more focused on offering things that don't have a cost barrier. Um, but as a leader, uh, as a person in charge of a group of people and their well-being, being present and being mindful in those conversations is something that others can sense and respond to. Uh, so if, if I'm going into an office meeting, there's the part of the meeting that's very much focused on task. And then there's the first part, which very much should be focused on my humanity. So um, I can tell the difference. I think all of us as leaders also work with other leaders and can tell the difference. And that pause moment to really check in and then shift from there to talking about the task can be really useful. Um, and in the rush of working in an organization, we can often forget that piece. And that's why I think structuring it into interactions can be really helpful. So every interaction will have a piece that's very much focused on a human connection before shifting to a task. And that will reduce the chances that you might not do it if you only have five minutes or 10 minutes, or if you have a full day. Um, but that feels really good. I felt that throughout the past year and a half that my own uh, leadership has really taken the time to be in that moment with me, connected to not just my thoughts, but also my feelings. Uh, and that's super important for, for well-being for both people on the sides of that uh, dynamic. We've talked a lot about whole person as one of the pillars within the Mission Leadership Institute. And this space, like you're saying, we're offering it in mindfulness uh, in a free way that you wouldn't have seen before. Uh, and, and I'm sure that there are opportunities that you've had over the course of, of the last couple of years too to even go deeper about mm -hmm. how to bring that. In terms of renewal, we talk a lot about renewal, but mm -hmm. maybe there's other ways to think about renewal as you're saying now in terms of mindfulness. Yeah, and, and that, that I mean, I'm a, a physician that's been working in the healthcare context throughout the pandemic, and we've been through a, a lot. Everyone has. <laughs> However, we've been through a lot because we've, we've been asked to stick to our missions and values, translate those values into actual virtues while also going through a pandemic at the same time. And there's been a lot learned there, uh, a lot learned about sacrifice not ultimately being a, a good thing to engage in because if you sacrifice yourself too much, there's nothing left. Um, and then also at the same time, uh, connecting with each other around our actual whole lives. Um, so we do have a job, we do come to work, but we also have children. Um, so now we see children popping up on Zooms, right? And that helps us acknowledge the whole person. We now see interruptions of a pet in the background. Um, and there's just a lot more flexibility around all aspects of our personhood beyond just our specific role in the workplace. And that cultural shift is one that we should maintain even as the world settles back into a post-pandemic phase because it really feels different. And I think if we were going to look at the trends in data, we'd notice that if we shift away from that, we probably would have a lot more challenges with the mental well-being of our organization and also its mental health. This sense of inclusion of our families uh, and the way that I've watched you give uh, tremendous grand rounds, and we'll put those on our learning experience platform because I think you invited your daughter in to show mm -hmm. this as developmental. 
And mm-hmm. one of the things we know in the mind is it, it can say uh, bad dog, bad dog. What, what about great dog? Uh, you know, what about hearing some time that my development is going very well? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we help people to not have such a negative uh, mm-hmm. speak uh, in this period of time? Just as you've said, we've gone through a lot of lot of tough stuff. Um, how right. can we be more more kind to ourselves? And that's like the, the the other beautiful piece of mindfulness is there's this concept of mindful self compassion, and we we all need that. Um, mindful self compassion means one that you acknowledge that you are you're suffering in some way, you're going through a challenge, but you're also not going through it alone. Um, and when we set standards for just ourselves, um, we often set standards that are way too high, and we're often much more critical of ourselves. But if we said there were 10 people in this situation, just like me, how would they perform? How would they show up? What challenges would we all have together as a collective? It can help us set more realistic expectations and be kinder to ourselves. And then I also love from the mindful self-compassion space also that we don't talk to ourselves as ourselves. We talk to ourselves as a friend would talk to us. We're so much nicer to other people than we are to ourselves. (laughs) The things I would say to a friend, I didn't even say yesterday when I was having a rough clinical day. But um, now that I'm thinking about it, like, wow, that was a really rough day, but you made it. And these are the things that you accomplished. And that effort we put forth for others, we really need to turn that back on ourselves. And that can help that negative self-talk. Yeah, it really is beautiful even to stand at the end of your day and say, how did I talk to myself? Um, What was I like? And and then that process of, of forgiveness something that we think is one of the core commitments and, and competencies to practice, how one forgives themselves uh, with what, what's gone on in life uh, can be a real testament, as well as uh, that awareness that you've talked about uh, before around creating psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And that notion of psychological safety in a meeting, uh, in a presence uh, with even someone you, you, whom you love, how do we be more mindful as leaders about the importance of psychological safety? And I know you have a number of just kind of uh, practices for that. Yeah, and that that's been a large part, uh, like a large part of the, the past year and a half or a couple of years too, because we, in some ways, have been expected to show up as if nothing is happening, right? And if there's not psychological safety, it's going to be that much harder to say hey, you know, I am struggling in this area, or I think we should do this thing differently because our context has changed. Um, so it's, it's, it's also incredibly difficult to get any kind of feedback as a leader if psychological safety is not present. So as we're thinking about post-pandemic, what our workplaces can look like, that can really help us reimagine things in ways that are informed by more people. So the components that you might think about are, is there learner safety present? Meaning are people in the organization able to sniff, look around, poke around, pick things up and reflect on things in ways that grows their knowledge and understanding, or are they kind of uh, supposed to know everything from, from the starting point? Uh, or, and that, that expectation obviously is problematic. And then what's collaborator safety look like? How are we in spaces with each other working together? Um, is there a sense that we're all able to equally participate and offer things that we're all able to show up fully? And that's closely connected to inclusion safety, which means that I don't have to discard very important aspects of my being in order to be in the organization. I can bring my full self and all that that has to offer. And that allows me to fully participate in a very unique way. 
But really, I personally value most challenger safety, especially with the work that I do around anti-racism and racial justice and equity. I challenge all the time the status quo, right? And if that challenging safety is not there, then uh, helpful reflections can't be offered, nor can feedback be useful um, for shifting how things are done. Um, and depending on your social positioning, you often don't have access to challenger safety. Um, so you're often more quiet and existing on the margins despite having a lot to offer into the leadership space. This is so important for us to be attentive to those aspects of marginalization and what you've talked about here. And I really wanna thank you for helping us to begin these conversations. It's not certainly our last because we're going to have a second conversation, mm -hmm. uh, but that whole aspect of you helping us to be able to see with new eyes is really something that's coming out. So I wanna thank you, Dr. Eisen, for that. You're very welcome. Watch for part two of our conversation in a future episode, and you can find the Providence Mission Leadership Institute on LinkedIn. For all of you out there, remember that it is the light that comes through the wound that matters the most to becoming the whole self.